You're listening to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper, practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today, we are talking with Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. Since you just spent the last five minutes making fun of how I start the podcast, I'm going to make fun of how you start Sunday mornings. Welcome to the Sunnybrook Unscripted Podcast. I'm Lydia here with my dad, Pastor Jeff. And if you are here for the first time, this is a podcast where we sit and we answer your questions about faith. We dive deeper into the topics from Sunday morning and have a chance to take a look at some theology questions that you might be struggling with or that you might be asking yourself or that people might be asking you. Now, if you were at Sunday morning, you know that we spent that day just kind of going over questions that people had submitted, things that they were wondering, and because you are a little chatty. You did not give us enough time to get to all of the questions. So we're going to finish up those questions this morning and continue answering the questions that you asked. I, I wonder if anybody in the listening audience ever feels bad for me of all the abuse that I take. Um, not so long ago, and this is what you referred to at the opening, one of our family members on our um, chat line <laughs> decided she would imitate me on a Sunday morning and now Lydia's picking that comment, up. So. Comment below. Is there a place to comment below? Comment below if you have ever in, imitated Pastor Jeff saying, well, good morning, like he does on Sunday mornings. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and jump into it because I'm not sure that I want to take any more abuse from you. We'll go ahead and jump into the questions we get it, didn't get to. Now, this is one that we got to at the 8 o'clock service, but we didn't have time to get to to the other services. So we're just going to make sure that we have a chance to answer it again because it is one that we got from a few of you. And it talks about um, a prodigal adult child. Um, so this was a mom that wrote in. She had a child that had really kind of gone astray in adulthood that maybe knew Jesus when they were younger, but then had kind of started to go down a different path as an adult, a path that they maybe didn't agree with. And her question was, besides prayer, what more can I do for my adult child who's gone astray? Yeah, and I actually got a chance to talk to uh, the one who submitted that question mm -hmm. afterwards. And again, I, I, I want to make reference because she did as well. This is an adult child, so an adult prodigal. If it was someone in the home, I do believe you would handle it a little bit differently. There's certainly authority within the home and those kinds of things, but this is an adult child. So a, a prodigal, as we talked about Sunday morning at the first service, is just simply somebody who's squandered either the resources or maybe the spiritual heritage of the parents. Sometimes, you know, kids kind of go and do their own things, no longer live under the authority of parents, and now live in a very different way uh, in which they were raised. So uh, certainly, and I don't want to make, um, you know, light of the fact that prayer is going to be the critical thing to this. It really is. But I'd say a couple of things we learned from Luke chapter 15. First of all, uh, the father really lets him go. Uh, and again, I think it's one of the things with adult children that we got to do. You know, there's some strings attached usually to all of our kids. You recognize that better than anybody. But at some point in time, you've just got to let them go. And, it, and what I love about this father is he doesn't follow him, doesn't chase after him, uh, but he simply lets him go kind of to this Decapolis, this uh, wild town that was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We often see it on our trips to Israel that I won't go into because you Israel never like that. You uh, but sure. you can see it on the other side of the Galilee and, all, uh, Galilee and all of the lights and all of the things that are going on there. So he goes to this great place that 
you know, is really kind of this sin city, much like Vegas, so to speak. And he goes and he begins to squander not only the resources of his father, but certainly the spiritual heritage of his father. But scripture says this, the, the father really stays back. And I do believe that he does pray. In fact, I think every night he looks out the window hoping that he's going to come home. Uh, but he's kind of waiting for his son to come to his senses, and that's critical. Uh, it's what uh, me and this mom talked about a little bit, is this idea of, hey, there's got to come a point where conviction of sin comes into their lives. There isn't anything we can do, and you've seen this uh, in youth ministry as well. There's not a whole lot parents can do at a moment in time until the child comes uh, to their senses or to that place of repentance. And then, obviously, the father is is what ready to receive with his arms wide open. In fact, he runs and actually greets his son. So uh, he goes out to get him. But there's got to be a point that he comes to his senses. A couple of things we said Sunday morning, though, that the father doesn't do is, one, he doesn't go pull him out of the pig pen and drag him home. Mm -hmm. uh, again, thinking that somehow you can change their heart because you've just simply gone, met them there and dragged it out. The second thing, and I think this is the critical thing, and this is what this mom and I talked about together at length, is this idea that they don't remove the consequences. So, you know, there was a point for her where this son was actually in jail and she made a decision not to bail him out. Uh, there's a sense in which your, your child comes to their financial ends and sometimes parents sort of infuse them with money and those kinds of things. So, so those are the things I think we've got to hold back from. And listen, I recognize that's difficult to do. Parents have these you know, this love for this child and want to bail them out and want them not to feel pain. But I'm convinced that pain at a time like that is probably the greatest teacher. So I, I think we sit at home. I think we pray. I think we're ready to open our arms. But I think when they're hurting and when they're going through difficulty, we've got to let them sit at that pain. You, you recognize this. Any time you talk to somebody who's gone through a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, they've got to hit bottom. So pain, again, is the one thing that sort of turns people around. And ultimately, at that point in time, because they're not under your authority, they're under God's authority. Romans 13 says, they're, listen, they're under the authority of the government. So we've got to let those things work in their lives to bring them to the point of repentance. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine anything more difficult as a parent than to feel like you're just not doing anything. Yeah. But... Yeah, and yet you are. Again, I recognize that I've never been there, so, mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to relate. But I've seen the pain in mm -hmm. parents' faces. I've seen the difficulty that they've gone through. And again, we often say this with regards to prayer. Well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. But really, prayer is the most powerful thing that we can do. So praying that God would bring them to the end uh, of themselves, praying that God would convict them, praying that God would make them miserable in their sin to the point of repentance. And I, I, I think then for the parent to sort of be there with open arms is, is really about all we can do. And not that that's anything of less value, but really that, that is about all we can do. And that reminder that I have to remind myself of this a lot with my two boys even, of that they're God's first and yours second. Yeah, I, I heard a guy pray that one point in time. And, and, and his prayer was simply this as he prayed for his daughter and she was going through some struggles too. God, I, I recognize you love her more than I do. Ooh. Mm. Uh, for me, that's hard to just sort of imagine that anybody would love my kids more than I do, but he does. And he loves them in a perfect way. And so I think there's a point in time we just simply surrender them over to the Lord. We got another question dealing with relationships and faith that I thought was good. We actually got this from a few different people. And I think it's something that 
people navigate later on in life and marriage if you come to faith later. And I also think it's something that our young people are dealing with a lot in terms of as they're dating and they're trying to kind of find a spouse. It's the idea of navigating faith with a partner who is on a different page. So this specific person referenced, you know, that they're maybe a little bit further along in their faith than their partner is. They feel like they're kind of always having to pull them along and include them in it. They didn't want to make them feel less than and make themselves feel more holier than thou or more important but at the same time, trying to figure out how do I navigate faith with a partner who doesn't seem to be on the same page as me? I'll be honest, in my ministry days counseling and said, this is probably the one I got more than any other. I, I don't know why, and, and in all honesty, it was usually a wife who came in and was farther along than their husband, spiritually speaking, and there was that difficulty in that. Um, and again, I wanna start, especially by speaking to young people and simply say, boy, it's critical mm. in, in the, courtship dating time that 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 there is a match for you you know second corinthians 6 talks about this idea that we don't want believer and unbeliever to somehow be unequally yoked you know what a salt water and fresh water have to do have in common scripture talks about so there is a sense in not only the fact that i want to know that they're a believer but i want to know that they're growing i want to recognize that uh, their desires and my desires to to grow spiritually are together not again, that you have to be at the exact same place, but there's got to be that desire there. And I think we're always so concerned about looks and how do we get along that we forget that the foundation of relationships is is spiritual in nature. So we've got to make sure that we do that. And what I found, at least with, with friendships and girls that um, I had seen kind of in the dating scene is they would buy into these promises from these men that they were with of when we get married or when we get more serious, I'm going to start going to church with you. When we have kids, I'm going to start going to church with you. Um, and I remember getting the advice one time of they're on the, their best behavior when you're dating. Yeah. They're trying to woo you and win you over. And if it's not happening now, it's probably never going to happen. I, I agree wholeheartedly. And again, I'm a male, so I can speak about myself. But, but men are good at that promising the world, what do you need, I'll do it, and then everything changes at the point of marriage. So I, I just think it's, it's the one thing we examine in people's lives. We're not to judge each other, but the one thing we can say is this, do I see fruit in their lives? Fruit is always an evidence of a connection to the vine of Christ. So I, I think we've got to see fruit in their lives. But after that, let's just say you're in that situation. I think it's critical you do a couple of things. Because I, I, I love the questions. And listen, I... I don't want to look as though I'm better than him. I don't want to judge, doubt those guys. I, I think those things are critical. So I always say to, uh, again, often it was ladies, but I would say to any couple that feels as though at this juncture in their life, they're unequally yoked, not because one's a believer and one's not, but one's far along spiritually than the other. I, I would often say this, you got to focus on the similarities. So instead of focusing on your differences, oh, he doesn't like to be in the word and I do, I would say, well, what similarities do you have? Do you love to go to church together? Great. You know, really emphasize that. Do you love to serve together? You know, often men are much more readily with their hands and those kinds of, you know, emphasize that. Focus on what's good. Second, I always say, especially people unequally yoked, you got to lead by example. Nobody wants to be preached to. Nobody wants to be, you know, have religion shoved down their throat or made to feel less than. So I would always lead by your example. Rather than by your words, make sure that your lifestyle is that. And I often would say this to ladies, and I think it goes both ways. 
But make sure that your husband knows that you love him. Tell him over and over again, I'm not leaving. Even if you see a difference in at some point in time, it's being pointed out. Listen, I love you. I, I, I married you. There's a reason I'm here in this relationship. I'm committed to this relationship. And then within that, I think, you know, now you can work through your differences. And I'd often say to people this too, listen, at some point in time, you've got to recognize that even though there's differences, you've made a commitment together and you're hanging in there and you're staying with them. So I would try to emphasize that as much as I could. I was listening to a guy who was a pastor talking about this very thing. He was actually behind his wife in their faith uh, for a little while. And he said that she always encouraged him one step ahead of where he actually was. So he said she would speak these encouragements over him. And he kind of knew I'm not actually doing that, but it was kind of this like, I see this in you. And it caused him to eventually kind of move along and grow in his faith. Yeah, I love that. I I love the idea of trying to encourage them one step ahead of where they are. Can, Can I give you a couple of don'ts? If those are the do's, I would give you a couple of don'ts. Don't first for me would be this is somehow fantasize how great it would be Mm. if you had a different husband and Mm. he was more spiritually mature and all of that. I think you can get real depressed in that and then you start seeing things that maybe are existing and maybe are not. So I, I would be very careful not to sort of fantasize as to what it would be like if you had a more spiritual husband and more spiritual wife. Uh, again, I would stay committed. I would stay away from negative talk too. I think that can often happen. You know, as you talked about, they tried to encourage them one step ahead. I, I would stay away from sort of negative talk and those kinds of things. And I would always say this, your spouse is not always going to be sort of your only spiritual avenue of growth. You've, you've got to look for other areas. So if you're not getting it together, then I would say, you know, don't stop growing. Don't just bemoan that fact. At some point in time, look for other avenues and possibilities within that. And, and again, I think in time, because people have sort of this spiritual awakening at different points in times, I think if a spouse is continuing love, continuing to pray, I think there's going to come a day where all of a sudden it begins to click in their lives and their, uh, their hearts and their minds. You have to recognize that that happens at different points, at different junctures, maybe a retreat, maybe a pain in their life, whatever it is. But I think sort of these spiritual awakenings happening at different times and, and you've got to be patient with that. I think the thing that's hard sometimes from the female side or the woman's side, the wife's side, whatever, is you're told, especially if you've grown up in the church, that the man is to be the spiritual leader of the home. And sometimes they don't necessarily know what that looks like. And maybe yep. you don't even know what that looks like or means you're just expecting something that you haven't really thought out. Yeah, and that's part of the fall. You, you recognize yep. most men don't know how to be spiritual leaders because their dads weren't spiritual leaders. So it, it has sort of this trickle-down effect. So be grace-filled with regards to that. Encourage him in men's ministry and those kinds of things where that can be trained because it's likely he didn't have it. If he did, boy, what a blessing. But be patient in that. If you um, are listening, maybe you're the the man, the husband in the situation, and you're wanting to find more ways to just invest in yourself and your own personal faith and your own leadership within your family. Um, we have a group here at Sunnybrook called Men of Valor that would be a really incredible group to maybe be a part of and check out. You can look on our website. We have some information about that, or we have it over at Next Steps if you're ever here on a Sunday morning. Uh, but we would encourage you, come back. We've got a few more questions that were asked on Sunday mornings that we're going to get to next time. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. 
To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org or download the Sunnybrook Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.